Welcome to the Gingsberg Podcast. After today's message, take a sec and download the Gingsberg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Gingsberg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step with your journey with Jesus. Good morning, church. I greet you in the name of Jesus today as I speak Jesus over you. We gather together in the name above all names. It's good to see you. Welcome to those worshiping online. My name is Dennis. I pray that you had a glorious week. We are right now basking in the afterglow of a great move of the Spirit yesterday in this very room, in this tabernacle here, as we had over a thousand, maybe up to 1,200 people packed in here, people from all over the state, as we had our team lead and we worshiped our Lord Jesus Christ. Bishop Palmer was here, and it was a great time. And the same spirit that was here is here this morning. Amen? God's wanting to move today, and I'm glad to be with you and to be your pastor. We're continuing on our teaching series, Blessed. I want to begin with a question today. Have you ever received an unexpected gift? An unexpected gift. Heard about a local farmer who called into the church, really excited one day, spoke to one of the secretaries and said, hey, is the chief hog of the trough in? (laughs) Kind of took the secretary back. Are you referring to our senior pastor, Dennis? We don't call him that here. (laughs) He said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm just so excited. I just sold some land and I'd like to give $100,000 to the church. The secretary coughed and said, well, well, hold on a minute, the big pig just rolled on in. (laughs) That story was just made up, by the way, but if you want to give $100,000 to the church, I may have planted the seed there today. Good. An unexpected gift. So what I want to do is I want to tell you about a time in which David received, King David, an unexpected gift. It's from 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 13 to 17. 2 Samuel in the Old Testament, chapter 23, verses 13 to 17. And I'll just begin by reading verses 13 and 14. During harvest time, so this time of year, let's say, during harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullah while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. Now, what jumps out right here, of course, if you know a little bit about King David, Bethlehem, which means in Hebrew, house of bread, was his hometown. He was from Bethlehem. He was a son of Jesse. Of course, Jesus was in the line of David, Jesus born in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary made their way to Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of who? King David. David was from Bethlehem. But at this point in the story, as an adult, Bethlehem had been taken over by David's enemies, the Philistines. And they were camped there. David was out in the desert. Now, how do you think that made David feel? How would it make you feel if your enemies controlled your land, your house, right? 
Picture in your mind, let's say for sports fans, walking into the shoe and it's covered in maize and blue. <laughs> How would you feel, Buckeye fans? And for the few fans from Michigan that stayed up north, what if you went in the big house and there it's all scarlet and gray? Some people would like that, but how would you feel, right? Can you imagine how David felt? His hometown was taken over here. And then the story continues, verse 15. David longed for water and said, oh, that someone may get me a drink of the water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So at this point in the story, he's camped outside of Bethlehem in the Judean desert. He probably only has water from an old canteen, but his mind begins to wonder. He begins to remember the spring at the gate of Bethlehem. Oh, the fresh water. I long for that. I'd love to have a drink. Have you ever longed for something, but you knew you couldn't have it? Perhaps it's because of time or because of distance. Think with me. Think of a place that is very fond in your memory that no longer is. Now, for some in this room, it might be grandma's house, grandma's kitchen. I can remember sitting in my grandmother's kitchen. I can see her wearing an apron. I can smell fresh bread. I can smell chocolate chip cookies. And in my mind, I picture her offering a piece of hot apple pie with a little cinnamon on top. And of course, there's got to be vanilla bean ice cream on the side, right? <laughs> Can you taste it? Can you taste it? Oh, I like to go back to that. But because of time, but because of distance, because of death, I can't go there. Now, can you imagine if it was not just time or death, but it was your enemy that was preventing you from having what you wanted to have. And that's what's happening in this story. And he begins to think out loud. He begins to dream out loud. He begins to talk out loud. Oh, I wish I could have the water from the spring. Well, his buddies are around him. His chief warriors are around him, right? And so they want to please David. And so here's what happened next as they're listening to him. Verse 16 and 17. So three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. Now, so they risked their lives. But look what happened next. But David refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Then he says, far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he says. Is it not the blood of men who went at risk of their lives? And David did not drink it. These men loved their leaders so much that they would do just about anything to bless him, to please him. See, it was more than just a glass of water. It was giving of their love. And David then, the very gift that he longed for, did something unexpected. He gave it to the Lord. He poured it out to the Lord in an act of worship. I want to tell you a story that I've not told you out of my life. It happened several years ago, and I pray that it'll make some connections here with this scripture. So many of you know that 
over the last decade plus, I have talked about ministry before my arrival here in Vietnam, that as I was a superintendent, I also traveled over to Vietnam on several occasions. There's a picture of, of Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City. I spent several weeks there, seven different trips to, to Vietnam, and we would go for longer periods of time just because if you take that long of a trip, you want to spend some time there. And during around 2000, uh, there's me with some of the pastors, Vietnamese pastors, several years ago. Uh, we've had the opportunity to travel throughout the country, and there's 58 provinces of Vietnam, like we have 50 states, 58 provinces. I've been at least in 42 of the 58, all the way from the Chinese border in the north to all the way to the Mekong Delta in the south. One of the things that was happening about 2010 the Methodist Church was forming there, but they were not officially recognized by the communist government. So although that the government knew they were there and somewhat permitted it, they were not official. And therefore, the pastors and the people were under a lot of persecution. They were in house churches. They were persecuted by local authorities. They were, they were not protected by other individuals. And at times, they were just very restricted. So I, I remember in one case, for instance, I, I was teaching local pastor school in a house church on about the third floor of this house with about 40 Vietnamese pastors through a translator. Never forget this. It we're south of Da Nang, and the police came. They had heard that there was some religious activities from Americans that were leading it, and we didn't know that we weren't allowed to do it. And they came to the house, and they took the homeowner and our missionary down to the police station, and they interrogated integrated them for several hours. <laughs> um, God, they didn't take Pastor Dix. Um, but then later, we were told at that time that if we didn't stop, we would be uh, punished and deported. <laughs> and I didn't mind the deportion, but I wasn't too sure about the punishment thing. And uh, so we stopped at that year. But that was the environment, and everything worked out and all. Well, it was also uh, on one occasion that we had made connections to a fast-growing church in the central highlands of Vietnam, where the church had exploded. The Holy Spirit was present in, the, in, the, in, the, in this little village, and the, the church itself grew from, they said, from like 50 people to nearly 1,000 believers. Now, they didn't meet in one spot. They would meet in different houses. So that was what was going on. And I was in the area at one time, and we baptized over 100 people. It was amazing. So we had heard that they were trying to put together a building so they could have some assembly together. And so I went back to our home church in Columbus, where I was pastoring then at the time, and I shared this story, and God moved upon the church, and we we dedicated the Christmas miracle offering. We got the idea from Gingsburg, and we had a Christmas miracle offering to build a church in Vietnam. And we built a model church out in the lobby. We've done things like that here, right? And each family purchased a brick, and we prayed over the brick. It wasn't a real brick, it was a paper brick, but it would be symbolic of what we were gonna do over there. And we were able to raise enough money to build a facility over there. And so 
so we, the next year, and this was around 2011, I went back with a few others in the delegation, and we were outside the village, and we were trying to get to see, the, the church was so excited, they had heard it, we had, we, talk, we had spoken to the pastors, and everything was real great, but we get outside the city, and we were staying about 40 miles away, <laughs> we get outside, we're riding motorbikes to get there, the police would not let us visit the people, the leaders, they would not allow us to visit the church, and Several hours that we were in negotiation and finally turned us the way. We heard stories, the people were crying, the people wanted to be with us, to pray with us, to thank God with us, to celebrate with us, to dedicate this new facility with them, and we weren't allowed. One special tradition from this ethnic group that they have uh, during this time, they, they have a spring outside their village and where they get their water. And they have a special tradition that when each person is born, they're given a, a gourd. And they hollow this out, this is one, they hollow this out and they put water in it and they get their water from the spring. And it represents the life of the people. That's a picture of us. I'm holding this gourd here. I'll tell you about it here in a moment. And um, they're actually buried with their gourd. So that's just part of their, their ethnic tradition. From the water, from the spring of their village. But they were so sad that they could not visit us. And so the next day, the pastors, and in that picture behind me, or on your screen. The pastors are the two guys, smaller than me, that are wearing motorcycle helmets. <laughs> the guy on my, would be my right, correct? Um, that's the missionary, Uto, who's the bishop of the Methodist Church in Vietnam today. And then the, uh, the, the other man is Dr. Bishman, who pastored in Lima for many years, and, and then Ut's wife on the end. And they came up. Now, they risk being arrested by seeing us. But they wanted to see us and thank you. And they brought this gourd that I'm holding there. Dr. Bishman's holding one as well. From water from their spring. And I'll never forget it. And they said, this water represents the living water of Jesus <laughs> and of a congregation and we want to say we love you. And we thought, what a gift. What can we do with this water? What can we do with this gourd? We couldn't drink it, of course. <laughs> it wasn't purified for our stomachs. And we couldn't take it home with us because we couldn't take it on the plane. So that evening, we went back to our hotel and we had our American delegation there. And we decided to have a service like David, <laughs> and we poured out the water onto our hands and over our head. We remembered our baptism, and we praised God for Jesus Christ and for his work. I'll never forget that moment the rest of my life, that those two pastors were willing, whatever it would take, I asked one of those pastors, 
33 years old. Why? Why would you? He'd been arrested several times. Why would you do what you do in the face of persecution? We talk about the persecuted church worldwide. This is it. And he simply said this, the call of God, Pastor Dennis. God called me and I knew I must obey. The scripture that comes to mind when I think of that is out of Mark. Let me put this down. I don't want to break that now. <laughs> Mark, Mark chapter 8, verse 35. Check this out. Jesus' words. If you insist on saving your life, you're going to lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. When I think about those pastors, I'm challenged. When I think about those mighty warriors of David, I'm challenged. Willing to risk it all for the sake of the call. So here's the question today, kind of the take home. What's that one thing that you desire most? What's that thing that's close to your heart? What's that thing that you treasure the most? It's sacred to you. We all have those things. Could be... A first love, it, it could be uh, somebody, actually, it could be a career, it could be a position, it could be a reputation, it could be a materialistic thing, whatever it might be. Here's the question Are you willing today, like David, to pour it out to God? Now, I'll be honest, I'm not asking you today to do that. But if God called you to do it, to say, here I am, would you be willing? See, it's easy to give God the leftovers. It's easy to give God the seconds. David, though longed for the water from the springs of Bethlehem, would we be willing? And then this thought came to mind this morning as a story I heard many, many years ago. There was a guy in the church that was quite well-known. He was very wealthy, successful, kind of known as a little stingy. <laughs> but he always liked to be in the spotlight. Always liked to give a testimony even. That even happens in the church, you know. And so he was talking to the youth group at YG one night. And he stood up and he wanted to give a testimony. And he said, I just want you to know that there was a time when I was younger that you know, I was faced with a lot of challenges, and I didn't really have much at all, but I just said, Lord, I surrender, I hold up the white flag, I give you it all, and I just gave it all to Jesus, in a sense, and it said, here I am, I give it all, I sacrifice it all, take me, and he said, now listen up, kids, because I did that, you know, I'm living in the blessing today, God bless me, I'm walking in the blessing, I'm quite wealthy today, you know, God's really multiplied my blessings and all. And then there was a young kid in the back where he just spoke up and said, Sir, I dare you to do it again. I dare you to do it again. And friends, today what I'm saying to you, perhaps what God is saying to you, I dare you to do it or even to do it again. To give God your marriage, 
to give God your career, to give God your future, to give God your religion, to give God yourself, to give God your ambition, to give God your family, to give God your family members, to give God your all. I dare you to do it again. And know that as you do, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it, Jesus said. But only those who give their lives away will find life. I'm grateful for those Vietnamese Christian Jesus followers. <laughs> and I'm grateful for those mighty warriors of King David. And I'm grateful to live life in this Jesus way with each of you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for your love that never ends. <laughs> we think about it, it's not really an easy message, not a feel-good message, Lord. But we don't do it alone. Our walk is not solo. Direct our steps today, we pray. We give you our unknown future. Lead us and direct us in the way that you would have us to go. Surprise us with joy, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, if you agree, amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you would like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Gingosburg app or online at gingosburg.org.